Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this week's roundup. I have a bunch of cool news to report, plus an awesome interview with Smoke Monster, the guy behind those incredible ROM packs for all the different ROM carts. So let's just jump right into the news and get right to it. First up, I received many emails from people telling me about Unholy Night, a brand new fighter game for the Super Nintendo, being released in February 2017. It's made by the same guys from SNK that did king of fighters and a few other pretty cool games so it's really neat to see more super nintendo games being released even today especially when it comes from some of the original members of guys that made great games in the past so i'm looking forward to it and anytime i have any more solid info on where to pre-order or anything like that i'll definitely post Woozle just posted an update to his SNES HDMI project, and it looks like he's making progress but running into a few snags with sync, but it's looking like it's at least a realistic problem to solve, so hopefully the project is still on track and we should be able to see prototypes in a few months. At the moment it's going to be 480p HDMI output only, and only include the SNES's analog audio, so it'll really be a full analog to digital um, device. Which is fine, because when you start adding the digital audio mod, it kind of complicates things. And that's uh, that's something that you could include separately anyway. So there's no reason why you couldn't have HDMI out going to your TV and a separate optical audio mod going to your stereo. So it kind of works both ways. But I'm glad to see there's more progress, and uh, hopefully prototypes are soon to come. Some small progress with the Wii HDMI mod. It looks like Citrus 3000 PSI got one revision of his flex cable in and wants to make a few more tweaks before proceeding, but it's looking like decent progress. I hope to get him on for an interview soon to kind of talk about his work and how he's doing this mod because I think an HDMI mod, a true digital-to-digital mod for the Wii, is something that a lot of us would really benefit from. So hopefully we'll see him on in a week or two. I just saw a Kickstarter for a project called the Goofy Foot which is a left-handed Nintendo controller, so it's reversed. The D-pad's on the right and the buttons are on the left. And I'm right-handed, so I don't know the the struggles of lefties, but um, I had that Sega Master System stick controller that had the D-pad on the right or the D-stick on the right and the buttons on the left, and I am definitely not ambidextrous, but I could switch back and forth between that and an SMS pad uh, and never have an issue. So I don't really know if this is something, I mean, is it something left-handed people would benefit from? So if you're a lefty, definitely post in the comments. I want to hear your opinion on this. I just, uh, I never thought there was a need for a product like that, but maybe I'm totally wrong. The Behar Brothers officially announced the Akura, the HDMI Dreamcast adapter that I've been speaking about. So I don't think there's actually a page on their website yet, but they started their own threads on shmups and I think assembler games as well in case anybody has any direct questions for them about features or other things to expect. So if anybody was wondering any more specific details, I'll leave a link in the description on where to ask them. 
It looks like a few other updates have been posted in regards to the Wonder Boy a Dragon's Trap remake, and it's starting to look really great. I mean, it looks like a very modern envisioning of a very classic game. So uh, I'll just put a link in the description for anybody that wants to see the updates, and I'm excited for this one to come out. There's a game called Battlezone for the PlayStation VR that's based on the old Atari arcade game of the same name. And although I haven't tried a PlayStation VR yet, um, it looks to be a very cool game for anybody that's kind of into that stuff. But they just added a retro mode, which is a 3D VR version that was a direct throwback to the original Atari version. So I thought that was really cool, and hopefully I'll get a chance to try a PSVR soon enough and kind of give my own thoughts on it. Someone on Neogaf.com posted all the patents that Nintendo filed for the Nintendo Switch. And a lot of it is exactly what you'd expect and shows kind of what they've shown to the public. But they also showed a way to use to slide the, the tablet into a VR helmet and use it in VR. So I thought that was kind of neat. Um, and hopefully games like Battlezone would be able to be ported to it. But there's no official word from Nintendo yet. So this is just patents they filed for future uses. Speaking of the Nintendo Switch, it looks like they'll be taking it on tour across the U.S. starting in New York in January. So I'll try to get into that because I'm right by the Nintendo store. I'm just a you know 15-minute walk away. So hopefully I'll be able to get in and get up-close pictures of it and stuff like that. But if you're interested in seeing it before launch day, just check out the different dates and see if you're close to one of those cities to sign up. VentureBeat.com just reported that Nintendo sold 196,000 of the NES Classic mini consoles. So obviously the demand was a lot higher than people expected, and it just goes to show you that our retro gaming community is still going strong and still appreciating those older games. While this isn't really news, this was awesome enough that I absolutely had to share it. I saw on Mike Matei's Twitter status that somebody had 3D printed an entire Legend of Zelda map and then gone back and painted in very incredible detail. So the pictures were just mind-blowing, um, and I really absolutely think this is just a, a work of art, and I would love one of these, you know, if I had room to put it. But I guess uh, someone bought it, and then uh, the original creator of it was anonymous, but somebody uh, bought it from them, and then took all these wonderful pictures of it, and then I guess Mike reposted. So um, I'll put links in the description if you want to see it, but this is just... I mean, this should be in a museum somewhere. It's freaking awesome. And if anybody wants to take the time to make and sell these things, uh, I don't know if he released the 3D drawings or anything like that, but, I mean, I know a ton of people that would kill for one of these, and myself included. A few people on the SMS Power Forum have started posting MSX to SMS conversions, and I'm not quite sure what it is they're doing, but I'm pretty sure it's this. The MSX was a computer from the early 80s, and at some point, developers had ported some of those games over to the Sega Master System. I believe what these guys are doing are taking those ports and then injecting other ROMs in to see if it'll actually work. Kind of like what people were doing with the Wii Virtual Console wads for games that weren't available yet. Um, it seems like a lot of them are actually working well. So, I mean, this is another very cool conversion process, because I think a lot of us, it would be a lot easier to use a Sega Master System than it would to go find an MSX computer. 
But I'll kind of give it more of a test drive uh, as soon as I have uh, some original Sega Master System hardware to try it on. A lot of it's still in storage and everything, but um, I'll definitely post more updates on this because I kind of like weird things like this that tie together all different types of older technology. So, And if anybody else has um, any more info on, uh, on what it is that they're doing, because I'm not sure if I got that right. I could be totally wrong on that. But any other info on it, definitely post in the comments. I'd love to hear about it. Another NES cartridge is up on Kickstarter, but this story is pretty cool, at least in my opinion. The game is called Dream World Pogi, and a version of it's been floating around the internet for a while, so you're still able to try it on emulators or ROM carts or however you normally do it. But now, the original developers, the Oliver Twins, have gone back and finished the game, and are selling a full boxed copy of it if you'd like. So I think stuff like this is pretty awesome because if you just want to try the game, it's not being hoarded away somewhere. You could just try the unreleased demo and see if you like it. If it's not your thing, cool. You get to try an awesome little piece of history and move along. But if it is, you get to support the original developers and play a finished game and get kind of a neat collector's item, a good cartridge with it as well. But the other good news is the Kickstarter's already funded, so it looks like at this point it's pretty much just a pre-order. So I definitely recommend finding the ROM. It's in Smoke Monsters ROM sets um, and giving it a try. And if you like it, what a cool way to support developers and show them that their work still matters. And it's all very reasonable. I mean, I think just a cartridge is just uh, 25 bucks and delivery in February. So this is one of those Kickstarters that just, I don't know, maybe it's either really awesome or too good to be true. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, anybody have any thoughts on it, please post. But I think I'm going to buy this one just for the heck of it. Uh, it seems like a pretty neat game, too. On to Q&As. First, Cayenne L asked, do you think the Wii HDMI mod will offer a better picture than playing Wii games on a Wii U? And I know it's hard to say when I haven't actually messed with one yet, but yes, I do. I definitely think it'll be better. The Wii U doesn't do the greatest job handling Wii games. Actually, Extremes, the same developer who worked on the um, Game Boy Interface project, posted on Shmups a while back to have his take on it. So I'll leave that link in the description. But basically, with this Wii HDMI mod, it's going to be digital to digital. So you get the true 480p signal out directly into your TV. So the only one case would be is if, you've, uh, if your TV was terrible at upscaling 480p, which most are pretty good, um, then you would want to use another upscaler. But even then, it's probably going to be better than the Wii U and definitely better than Component. So it's something I'm excited for, and uh, it should have the potential to be the best solution. The only thing that would be better is if there was a way to actually render it in higher resolutions, kind of like the Dolphin emulator does. So hopefully somebody will come up with that solution as well one of these days. Next, Borrower asked how I feel about HDMI modding retro stuff. He said on the one hand it looks great, but on the other hand it sometimes feels unnatural. Um, I kind of have a couple of different opinions on that, and keep in mind they're just opinions, it's not the way, but it's kind of how I feel about them. On 6th generation and newer consoles, basically things that could output 480p, it's very often that it looks better on a flat screen. So to HDMI mod those consoles, especially to do a digital to digital HDMI mod, I think would look way better. Because a lot of those games that are kind of retro inspired, sure, definitely play them on a CRT, especially with consoles like the Dreamcast. You know, if uh, you play Gunlord, I definitely want to play it on my 240p CRT monitor. But there's other games that 
look like modern games that really benefit from a nice, beautiful flat screen TV, you know, big you know, square pixels and stuff like that. So for those, in my opinion, I would almost always prefer the HDMI mod. Um, but for the older consoles, you know, it's really what works best for you. So right now I have a couple of different NES consoles, and I've been rotating through them just to kind of see how I feel. So I've been playing the game The Legend of Link, um, and I play it on my HDMI NES, so the high-def NES. And then I've been playing it through the AVS, and then I played it on my original Famicom through an RGB monitor. And I kind of prefer through the original Famicom on the RGB monitor. But if my choice was to either not have a CRT at all or play it on a very low-quality CRT, there is no doubt in my mind I would prefer a HDMI mod through a flat screen over any other uh, option, really. Um, for a while, when I moved into this apartment, all I had was just my little 8-inch BVM for testing, and I would much rather play through HDMI on a flat screen than on a tiny little one. But now that I have a 20-inch CRT back here, I mean, I kind of prefer it so, uh, on the, the CRT. So it's really whatever works best for you. Um, you know, I'm sure a few people might have opinions like, uh, you know, since it's digital to digital HDMI, like with the NES, it would potentially be better overall and sharper. But, you know, it's my opinion that it really, whatever works best for you, but with the consoles that do 480p and over, um, it would almost be preferred in my opinion. So I hope that answered it. And uh, if I got confusing or you um, asked or wanted me to answer it a different way, let me know. Dan Mons posted a good tip on what to look for when finding consumer-grade CRTs. He said concentrate on the year of manufacture and rather than the brand. Um, and it's a good tip and not something I'd really considered as much until his post. But basically, anytime you have the, a product that it, it's at the end of its life cycle, the manufacturer is going to get way more efficient as time goes on at making them. And by default, the product's probably going to be better anyway. So that, that alone would be a good enough reason to look for a newer tube. Also, it's a, more of a better chance of having less hours. Um, so when you're looking, try to find a curved tube uh, CRT that's you know the, the newest manufacture date you could find. Um, and also his point was that you don't have to really concentrate on uh, name brand as much because sometimes it was just the same exact tube that was in uh, a low-end TV, but, you know, with Sony's fancy electronics and speakers and stuff. And a lot of that doesn't apply to us anyway because if you're RGB modding, you're going straight to the jungle chip and skipping all that stuff anyway. So all that really would matter is the tube itself and, you know, how how good of a quality it is. And of course, obviously, you need to see them in person to double check. But, um, you know, that's great general advice. And unless we all find, like, you know, brand X and model 123 is, you know, the best one to use, uh, those are great tips on what to look for. Uh, you know, they have potential to look amazing, uh, RGB modded consumer grade CRTs. But just make sure to curb your expectations. So hypothetically, if you found two 20-inch tubes, one was the best consumer tube ever made, and that next was a BVM with zero hours and perfectly calibrated, the BVM's always going to blow it away. You know, I, I use price to compare those, not because I'm trying to say more expensive is always better, but just to make sure to curb everybody's expectations that a monitor that cost about $50,000 that was designed for editing special effects and movies and medical imaging and stuff is always going to look completely different than even the best consumer grade. So, um, 
you know, hopefully uh, when I use those comparisons and I, I say the money thing, that's coming across the right way as well. But uh, great tip, Dan. And um, yeah, I'm going to start paying more attention to dates and seeing if I could find some newer tubes that might work well as uh, for RGB mods. Next, Lionheart asked, why are you so excited for the Jaguar ROM cart? Is there anything worthwhile for the Jaguar? Well, that's a fair question, because the system is only as good as the games that are available for it. Um, and I'm mostly excited just to have the whole Jaguar library all in one place, so I don't have to worry about fumbling through cartridges, and also to try all the, the new things that people have discovered over the years. So a couple of good examples of that are, like, uh, I remember playing Checkered Flag, and I remember how terrible the controls were, but somebody created a patch that actually improves the controls. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and also to kind of find the hidden gems of the system. A few years ago, my buddy Phil let me borrow his skunk board. And those are kind of a pain because you have to load ROMs individually on a computer. But for the most part, I get to try a good chunk of the Jaguar library. And things that are rare and expensive that, you know, I really want to try, but I just don't want to spend the money on. And it was fun to see games like Atari Karts, which is the Mario Kart ripoff. It was pretty terrible. And then on the other side of it, games like Rayman, I thought were great on the Jaguar. So it's fun to be able to go through and see which games I actually want to buy and which I just want to play. Um, but the homebrew thing, I think, is really great. And I, I, there's so much out there that, um, you know, people aren't as uh, willing to share, I guess, is the nicest way to put it. And uh, because you have to burn them to carts and, you know, the people get very sensitive about when you sell certain things and what you can and can't sell. I don't know, a lot of that stuff doesn't make any sense to me. But with the ROM cart, it kind of just skips all that. You download the ROM. If you don't like the game or if you think it's just okay, great. If you do, then you go hunt down the rare copy and, you know, I kind of think everybody wins. But a great example of that is the game I talked about a while back, Thea Realm Fighters. So that's the game that Nick Persane bought, um, and he released the ROM, and I really wanted to try it. But Nick himself, even on his eBay auctions, says very clearly, it's not a good game. There's no sound, it's an unfinished game, but I still really wanted to try it. So I, uh, I'm going to get my Jaguar out of storage to give this thing a shot. But, you know, if I had a ROM cart, I would have just been able to spend the five minutes to try it and not worry about anything else. So... You know, I'll leave a, a link to uh, Nick's cartridges. He's also the same guy that does the Tempest um, controller, the spinner controller mods. So if you have Tempest 2000 for the Jaguar, you know, definitely buy that controller because that totally, totally different uh, experience with it. But if you want to try these out, you could buy them from his eBay auctions as well. But And I'm not knocking Nick at all for selling them because I know a lot of people wanted them, but... With the ROM cart, you just wouldn't even have to worry about that anymore. You know, you just download your ROM, and, and then if you say, oh my god, you know, I, I loved this game, it might have sucked, but this is great, I want a collector's item and a piece of history, then you go buy the cart. <laughs> but if you just wanted to try it out, you don't waste your money. So, uh, that was a really long answer, I'm sorry, man. But I guess the short version of that is, why I'm excited is just to be able to have everything I can for the Jaguar and make my own opinion on whether I want to play it or not. And lastly, a few people commented about the G-SCART versus Shiny Bow SCART switch discussion from last week. Um, Sammy Sness reminded me that the Shiny Bow has an IR receiver, so if you have something like a Logitech Harmony, you could program codes in in order for it to switch over to what you need. Um, I don't use one of those, so I totally forgot that was even an option, so that's a good tip. Um, and someone else whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce this time. Um, 
uh, said maybe mention the Extron cross points as a follow up to that. Um, that last discussion was specifically, you know, about comparing those two switches. And if you talk about the cross points, now you're comparing SCART to BNC or anything else. So if anybody wants, I could certainly do a rundown of that. But in short, the cross points are a great alternative. But the only downside is it's BNC inputs, not SCART. So you need to either buy all new cables or make or buy adapters. And all the RGBS inputs have to have C-Sync. You can't have Luma or composite video, which in most cases are fine. There's just a few issues you would run into. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you guys want me to get in-depth on that, I certainly could. But uh, I hope that was just a basic, you know, basic rundown of it. But, yeah, thanks again for all your comments. Okay, up next, I have an interview with Smoke Monster, the guy that does all those amazing ROM packs for the different ROM carts available. And, you know, I've said many times that my favorite part of the roundup is doing the interviews, because sometimes I get to finally, you know, meet over Skype people that I've been working online with for a long time, and other times I get to interview people that I'm just gigantic fans of their work, and this is one of the many times that um, Mike counts as both. Um, I'm a huge fan of his work, uh, and I have been talking to him for a long time, so it was great to finally meet him on camera. And, you know... um, I don't think I stressed the fact in the interview how appreciative all of us should be for those because when my cousin Scott and I first got our ROM carts, it was hours of filtering through, finding what worked and didn't, figuring out what we wanted on our cards, and it just, you know, now with these, you just download them and that's it. It even has all the setup files for the EverDrives on them, so just such a huge contribution to the community, and I'm so appreciative of it. Um, you know, I wanted the interview to be fun as usual and not just me kissing his ass for the whole time. So I'll do it now. Um, thank you again for all your work. And, uh, you know, as always, though, it's always hard to talk about him. You know, his name's Mike. Uh, online name is Smoke Monster. And that's pretty much all I'm comfortable saying because I'm not sure about the legalities of ROMs. You know, for the most part, I don't think it matters. I just don't want to make sure that nobody gets in trouble. Um, and as always, if you're looking to find his ROM packs, just Google Smoke Monster ROM packs, and it's like the first thing that comes up. So uh, the interview was a ton of fun. Um, I got a little off topic talking about modding for a while, but eh, same old as usual. A lot of fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. Thanks again to Mike for doing it, and I will see you guys next week. Hey guys, I'm here with Smoke Monster. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I've been using your uh, ROM packs since I, I first discovered them. Um, and you know, I, I was I, the first time I saw one, I downloaded it and I checked it out, and I called my cousin Scott immediately. I was like, "Dude, you got to try this ROM pack." And he goes, "Ah, oh, no, I've already spent hours doing mine. I have it all the way I want it." And he kind of blew it off. And maybe a couple months later, I borrowed his uh, EverDrive N8, and I put your pack on it. And he got back to me and went like, oh, wow, this thing really is awesome. (laughs) So, I mean, I was dying to know, how did you get started, and how long did that stuff take you? I I started it, I think, about two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And it just started out as this was my EverDrive setup, and I shared it with someone, and they liked it. And then from there, I think that was back, I released it, the, the first one at the ISO Zone, and um, lots of people uh, liked using it, and then I started looking at it, looking more into ROM sources and what kind of release groups were out there, who does the best work, and I decided just to make it sort of the standard um, set. So you could 
instead of having to mess around with a lot of these direct download sites that people use, you know, the ROMs are out there. Yeah. That's something today we really need to acknowledge. And it's it's kind of like, um, do you give the the smack addicts, you know, clean utensils to use or do you give them something that's safe? Mm-hmm. So with my setups, I'm sort of giving them the best setup that there is. So you don't have to mess around with a lot of those kind of low-quality ROMs. Yeah, and, you know, those websites are still handy on the occasion where I'm, you know, away from my computer. I just need one ROM. But overall, I mean, I think since I started using yours, there's been maybe one or two occasions where I found a ROM that wasn't in your pack. And in, I think in both of those occasions, it's because... They- and you usually send them to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were brand new, and then I just email them to you. So. Mm-hmm. But uh, are they all based off of existing ROM sets and reorganized? So are they all like the no intro set or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, they're, the majority... So the, the the original goal was just to have every official ROM. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to have the best source. I started out using, I think, the version 1.0 was the good sets. Mm-hmm. And those are really good sets, but they're more aimed towards having content. So they want to have everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, I go with no intro now for the main ROMs just because they're focused on just having all of the official ROMs, I think, for the most part, mm-hmm. and perfect dumps. Right. So the, so the majority of the ROMs are from the, the latest no intro sets. And then I spice it up with you know, the game series collections and the color restorations, all that kind of fun stuff, hacks, translations. And a lot of that comes from the good set and from just being on forums and seeing what's out there in the news. You send me a lot of interesting stuff that yeah, comes up. Try to. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of people don't realize how much help I get and most of it lately has been coming from you, just keeping me up to date with the news on what's out there. I've been sort of moving for the last five or six months, so I'm kind of out of touch. Yeah, you know, at first I thought, I was hoping I wasn't annoying you with all those emails, but it is kind of easier for me because I'm, you know, I'm already cruising these on a daily basis, so every time I find one, it, it's really easy for me just to pop it right over to you, knowing that, you know, when I have like a folder, I dump them all in, like, you know, not in the ROM set yet, but it just, uh, it makes my life easier just knowing that there's already a repository for them, so I'm glad, uh, glad you're not annoyed with all the emails with all the stuff I keep sending. No, I love it. I I'm trying. I've been trying since the beginning to make it more collaborative. It's it makes it easier for me, and it's kind of every time that you put something into it, you know, there's if I if I added up all the people using it from the original sets and the new set, I think there's about 120,000 um, downloads for it. That and that's not including what I can't track from the ISO zone originally. So we had. I know there's about 30,000 people just in the first year who looked at the thread there, and now we've got about 83,000 at um, the new site. And so, yeah, I feel like it's kind of my thing, you know. It's it's a duty, and every hour that I put into it is an hour that somebody else gets out of it. And every time somebody like you sends me, you've been sending me these Game Gear to SMS conversions. Those are incredible. Yeah, some of them are really awesome. Yeah, I mean, the the amount of time you save people. And it's like, you know, because I come from both sides of this. I'm I'm just the nerd that loves playing the games. And that, you save guys like, you know, on that side of it a ton of time. But also the guys that are working on a lot of these things. Even the guys that, you know, that are working on the Game Gear to SMS conversions and stuff like that. You know, now you have a place where you know, hey, this ROM is going to work on my EverDrive or, you know, my power pack, so I'll use this. Because there are so many um, bad dumps out there. And, 
I just, I never, I guess I never really grasped how these games got dumped. Did you ever get into the history of how some of these ROM files they hit the internet and everything? Yeah, if you look back, it's it's really interesting. I mean, originally they were using those tools that you saw in the back of Nintendo Power or whatever it was, the, the video game magazines back in the day, the, the disc drive. Disc tools. And a lot of the ROMs that are out there now are still sourced from those, mm. or they're you know, they were dumped by someone way back when, and then somebody imported it into their emulator, and it added a header, removed a header, and then somebody else did, and they just, they get changed so much. They have this, each each ROM that's out there has a life history, and that's that's not a good thing for us, because we want it just to be whatever the, the perfect dump was, bit for bit exact, and then that's what we want. Right. And so you go to these download sites, and you don't know. It looks, it could be a no intro ROM. It could be a good set. Like the name might match. But unless you're using a CRC tool to check it out or um, the MD5 tag, you're not going to know. Hmm. And most people don't want to do that for, you know, 5,000 ROMs or whatever. Right, right. So that was a big push, was just I get everything direct from the latest pack released by no intro. So, yeah, that's. It's yeah. a good resource. Have you ever actually played um, with one of the floppy drive ROM dumpers before? No, I've never used one of those. I've never even seen one in person. Obviously, just like you said, I mean, I, I've seen them in the back of some magazines, and it was kind of mind-blowing. I remember, mm-hmm. um, I mean, when we were kids, me and my cousins and my brother going, so if I buy this and I get a floppy drive, I can get it? Like, but isn't it <laughs> going to take forever to load off the floppy? And what if, like... Mm-hmm. And, then I, and that's kid, all we used to do back then with computer games. Yeah, trade copy disk back and forth with whatever whoever bought the latest game, and then they'd copy it over to their to a, a floppy for you. Right, and then I, as a kid, I didn't know the difference between you know we're talking nine, ten years old between megabits and megabytes. Uh-huh. So those thirty-two meg games, megabit games. <laughs> so I need thirty-two floppy drives to hold this one game on there or something, and it's just. I didn't get it. It's kind of funny. I wonder if anybody has one. Um, I, you know, I'd love to at least see a short video of it or maybe even mess around with it if they're in the New York area because I'd love to finally see what it is that we were staring at. The one thing I did get to see in person was a converter that let you play Nintendo games on a Super Nintendo, and it was at some random game shop in Old Saber, Connecticut, and it didn't really work. It kind of blew my mind because I saw those in the magazines for like mm-hmm. more than definitely more than the cost of a Nintendo, and it was uh, and it didn't even really work right. So mm-hmm. it was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, that's. I'm I'm really big into the hardware too. Like you, are. I'm gonna have a good collection of games. Mm-hmm. A little, little quirky things like that are really interesting to see. I, I consider myself more a collector of hardware though. I'm gonna maybe have two or three hundred games in my collection total i'm not a hardcore collector like a lot of youtubers are but yeah yeah i find you know i got really into um collecting my favorite games and then the things that i always wanted but never could find Mm -hmm. like all the um the 3d master system games i love the fact that i own those just for the hell of it um i still play all the uh, only the roms just because especially now that i moved there's no room to keep a collection of game cartridges but the hardware is still pretty important to me because the game cartridges themselves are, in my opinion, you know, great collector's items, and certain games I would love to play only on the original cartridge just for the hell of it. But, I mean, you could reproduce those. You could find a good dump of a ROM and burn it onto another actual chip and not, not even use a ROM cart. But the original hardware, the actual consoles themselves, the controllers, 
that's the thing that you can't really replicate that experience, you know? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's what I've been really been into, especially, you know, the main focus of the site is keeping that experience alive <laughs> and improving it. So. Yeah, your site's... I've been using your site. I, I was just checking back through my email the other day. I, I put in retro RGB because we go back and forth all the time. Mm -hmm. And I realized I'd sent you some emails back in 2013. Oh, yeah? Not as uh, Smoke Monster, but just as me. And I was asking you questions about, I think it was when you'd put up the new instructions on the one chip Super Nintendo RGB mods. Yeah. Uh, which I had and I did. And I was having sync issues, which back then I didn't know what I was doing. Nowadays, I know exactly what it was. Just reading my email, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember when I fixed that because I didn't <laughs> yeah. connect sync line inside of it or something, and I figured it out at some point. It's funny because I think the site launched in 2012, I want to say, maybe maybe just earlier than that because it was private for a while. It was just uh, Scott and I were going back and forth on it. And I really, um, I mean, I was blown away at how many people started using it at first. And I don't want to say I didn't take it seriously, because I always took it seriously, but I didn't, I think what I didn't grasp was how many people from around the world would use the guides, that English isn't their first language. So I look back, I, I saved every picture, and I look back at some of my original mods, and I'm just going, oh my god, that's so embarrassing, I can't believe I posted that picture. Because it was something, you know, the, the text would say something like, hey, this was my first try, so it's a bad shot, but here, you know, use this to, to make it good. And, you know, it was a really dumb thing to do, because a lot of people were, I see pictures, you know, people were selling on eBay consoles that were modded the same way with, like, a glob of glue holding something down, and it just went, oh, God, that's terrible. So I just, mm -hmm. I constantly keep trying to improve it and make it better, but uh, occasionally I stumble across something from, you know, year one or, or pre-launch and just go, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, that's how that goes, though, you know. I don't like, look, I don't like opening up my first consoles that I modded either, but I <laughs> You go back through through the years and fix the things you did, and you've made the improvements. And your site, I, I mean, as far as I know, that's what everybody points to. You know, like if you've got a Super Nintendo and you want RGB mod it, people are linking straight to your site, and you sh you show the different options that are out there and the comparisons. Well, that, that's that was my goal, me. and then the the future goal now is to make it a community effort. So I am working on. Um, it's just the first stages, but I got a couple people offering to help, but I want to make it more of a Wikipedia style so that people could um, contribute their own guides, because there's so many guys that do amazing work that don't have the time to put up their site or even really to write a guide in a forum. So, you know, if somebody dumps a bunch of pictures and some basic um, descriptions, I could go back in and rewrite it as a full guide, and I just, I want to make it for everybody, and then eventually, hopefully, put it up for public domain, because... You know, I don't want to sound morbid and everything, but nobody lives forever. So, but the, these websites can. So I, I just, uh, I really, I'm glad people are liking it. But I want to make it for everybody now, and I also want to try to find ways to get away, or to get around some of the legal issues, because I'd love to make everything kind of open source. I guess is the right term yeah. to say. Because imagine if there was, um, you know, obviously with moderators to make sure nobody messes with it, but if you could have your ROM packs in a way where it was open directories so people could add stuff and then just like Wikipedia, leave a description of why they added it. And then rather than hunt all these things down, you could just be the moderator and go, okay, you know, new Game Gear SMS patch, let me fire it up. Yep, it works great. Okay, hit submit and add it, you know. It just oh, yeah. makes would it be for everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm on yeah. it. It's probably going to take... I mean, at this point, it'll probably take a year before I even get something where people can try it and see if they like it. So, but it's mm -hmm. the end goal is to make it for, for everybody. 
Yeah, that would be great. And you're right. I mean, I watch your news every week. There's a new RGB mod or VGA mod for something coming out that's taking a different angle at getting to the same results. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I would immediately post the, the ROM packs on mine, but the legal issues really bug me because it's like, you know, it's not like there's indie developers out there making these cartridges. And there actually are on a small scale, but we all in the community kind of support those people now anyway. But it's not like, you know, you're a little startup trying to make a Genesis cartridge and it's 1990, excuse me, it's 1992, you know. And people, the only people making money off of these things are the people reselling them on newer consoles, which we either don't care about or we're going to buy anyway. You know, yeah. I think I bought Sonic CD on an Apple TV just for the hell of it. I wanted to see what it <laughs> felt like in 16 by 9 and they actually did a great job. But I'm always going to own Sonic CD for my, you know, Sega CD. So I mm -hmm. just wish uh, I wish the legal issues weren't as as weird with that because you never know when you're going to get hit with a takedown request. Yeah, I'm, I always wonder about that. I mean, in some respects, it's it's almost found art at this point. There's so much of it out there, and yeah, we put as a community, like in in my packs, I don't allow any any content that's actively sold by the original creator. That's sort of my rule. So. Yeah, Pierce I actually remember a, a couple of years ago, I think you had one in and you didn't realize people still sold it. Yeah. You took it right out. So Yes, the there was a site, I forget which site it was, but they posted their public domain stuff all the time in sort of a, uh, like an FTP folder. And so I would check in there every six months or something, just grab everything, and they'd actually put one of their games in there, and I didn't realize it, and they contacted me, and I took it out about three seconds after the pack was posted. Hmm. That's the only time it's ever happened. And yeah, uh, that is a bit, that's my big fear. I'm always, I'm, I'll pull things just to be safe sometimes, but I don't want to hurt anybody's income. But yeah, I mean, the people using Everdrives are the biggest collectors there are. It's, it's the gateway to video games at this point. I mean, if, right. if you're a new collector and you've got a Nintendo and the first thing you buy, it, I mean, it's pretty much the first thing you buy is an, an Everdrive. You know, and that's how you figure out what I'm going to buy. You know, do I want this game or that game? Do I enjoy it? And which, what are the new favorites? Like, we have our old favorites. I'm, I'm thinking about people who are just picking up a Nintendo. Like, what are they going to like? You know, and what are they going to put in their collection? Because for, for me, you know, the most nostalgic games are like DuckTales or Mega Man or something like that, you know. But I wonder yeah. what these new things are going to be into. Yeah, for me, playing Mega Man 1 was the thing for me, because, I don't know, um, where did you grow up, anyway? I was in central Illinois. Central Illinois. So I was in Connecticut, maybe two hours outside of New York City, and you could not find Mega Man 1 anywhere. I saw Mega Man 2, and I think I owned that one, and I loved the game, but there's nowhere I could find Mega Man 1 all through my childhood. And then when I finally got, you know, Everdrives and it, RGB modded Nest, playing that one kind of blew my mind. It became like a new a new favorite. I loved it. So it's fun to, to experience it. But a lot of the homebrew, too. Like, I didn't realize how, how many amazing hacks and, and just, or homebrews from scratch games were out there until I got an Everdrive. And I kind of wish they had, like, um, a title screen that says... You know, hey, this ROM, uh, this is a, a ROM of a homebrew game. If you'd like to buy it on a cartridge, go to this website. You know, I, mm -hmm. I think because there's there's a lot that aren't that great, but there's a few that I played that if were available on a cartridge, even if I already beat it, I would totally buy it just just to support yeah. those guys. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff too. I try to keep up with that as much as I can. Do you have any favorite ROM hacks that you played for any of the systems? Hacks or oh, originals? Yeah. 
I yeah, I play, most of what I do lately has been just playing translations or um, hacks and things. I don't know. I, I wasn't into it that much in back in the day, but the, there are some very high quality hacks. Um, Pyron's doing excellent work. Um, hmm. I think we talked about him before. GameSack sort of showed up some of his footage a while back. But yeah, he does color restorations on games that you loved already and say you've got a Genesis and he's taking it and giving it these beautiful color palettes and getting it as close to the arcade as, as, as possible and just making these improvements across the board. And those are, those are what I really like. And you see that on a bunch of systems, you'll see improvement hacks. Those are I just think they're kind of cool. They take a game that's already great and they'll fix some things or they'll fix some colors that were off or something like that. Yeah, now that that stuff, um, I think that's just amazing because there was uh, what the Castlevania two for NES where they fixed all the bad translations, and mm-hmm. I think there was a Link's Awakening hack where it was just one or two very small things, but they were kind of, I guess, broken on the original. So when you play those, you're essentially playing a better version of the original game. So that was always really impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I was just spent just the other day. I spent a couple hours trying to find some information on. Uh, so one of my favorite shooters is um, Battle Mania, Daijin Gen or something on the uh, Genesis, uh, also called um, Troubleshooter. And there was uh, a really interesting translation project back in 2007 by a guy named MyJet. And he did a kind of, he took it, first of all, the English translation isn't very good. And they also... They, they messed up some things along the way when they did it. And so in his hack, he did, you can select from English or Japanese for the text, fixed Japanese, which he did some modifications, and then three different fonts using button combinations during the Sega screen. Hmm. And so I was, I was emailing some people just to see if anybody could help me. I, I think it would be cool just to have, a men- like you said, to have a menu come up at the loading screen where you could pick through the options. Because... These kind of options, like in his hack, the only way you'll find out about them is in the README file, which, you know, it's from 2007. I think it's up on ROM hacking, but, yeah, there's really interesting stuff like that out there. And they'll take your favorite game, you know, that's one of my favorite shooters of all time, and and just make it better. And especially the English translation is really cool. Yeah, those are some amazing work. Like, I think uh, the team just did the Police Knots one for Saturn, (laughs) and I just downloaded uh, the Castlevania for the PC Engine CD, but they mm-hmm. took the PSP version, and then they took all of the text from that, and I think the voices, and added it to it. Um, and that's, uh, Voltar's got my, my duo at the moment, but as soon as I get that back, that I'm going to sit and play through that whole thing, because I've never done a playthrough of it before. So whoever, yeah, that- whatever team took the time to do that, you know, that's just amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, a, and on a system like that, you don't get a lot of new content. You know, the, mm-hmm. the PC engine is... Um, there's just not a lot of people working on it like there are on the Genesis and Nintendo. Yep. And it looks like we're kind of entering the golden era with a lot of this stuff. There's really interesting Sega Saturn uh, development tools coming out, and um, yeah, things are looking good. Well, that's the thing that's kind of awesome now is because a lot of these people aren't just doing the hacks, they're developing the tools and sharing the tools. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, I think, you know, um, I'm trying to remember which one was just released a few months ago, but there was a game where somebody released a, a Master System game uh, where they released the tools to do the hacks for it, and now there's already two different um, games based off of it or something. So that was pretty neat. Yeah, I remember reading something about that too, yeah. 
interesting stuff. Yeah, I've got a big collection of TurboGrafx or PC Engine stuff too. I've got a, a Duo. I've got Super Graphics. They're all RGB amped. I've got the um, uh, what's it? So the the Super Graphics thing. I was just talking with uh, with Corey on the live stream the other night about this. So um, wasn't there an issue with the EverDrives and using the Super Graphics versus um, anything else? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because uh, your Ever, yeah. your um, Turbo EverDrive packs include the correct things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got the Super Graphics as an add-on there. Yeah, I had some issues when I first when I got my Super Graphics. I and there's a thread about it at the Crix forum that I was running. I'm trying to get to the bottom of this too, what the answer is. But I was having all sorts of issues with it, and other people were having it fine. My take on it is just that there's. I think somebody who mentioned this is right. There's just a slight difference in PCB thickness, at least up until version um, 2.3, I think. Mm-hmm. There's a new there's a new hardware revision out now, or up until 2.4, I mean. And there's 2.5, and somebody mentioned that this is a super graphics fix, and I'm wondering, I don't think it's a hardware issue. I think it's just he standardized maybe the PCB thickness. But I was able to get it working perfectly on mine after hours and hours of messing around by just wiggling it. And so I, what I just exactly had to get was it in the problem that was happening? You'll get, um, uh, like, you would get graphical glitches. I posted some pictures in the thread of it. Maybe you could put those up here later. But you would just get some pixelation, some weird colors. Uh, the screen would flash black sometimes. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's because one of the pins, either on the far left side or the far right side, well, just wasn't, doesn't, wasn't making contact right. Because I found if I slid the turbo the the EverDrive in all the way and then pulled it out just maybe a few millimeters and then wiggled it just a little bit, then everything is absolutely perfect. And it takes me about five seconds to do that, so it's not a big issue. Hmm. Although if there is some sort of uh, hardware change in 2.5 for Super Graphics, I'll definitely get that too. So, and either I'll probably just use my old EverDrive for my uh, Turbo Express. Which is RGB modded. Now that's um that's only for the when you when you have a turbo graphics and a or super graphics with it, right? It's not um so the duos and everything. This is so the super graphics is its own console with like That's right, that's right. Eight or eight or ten games specific to it. And yeah, it's it was just for me, it was just affecting those eight or ten games. It's like maybe there's a channel on the um PCB that I don't I don't really know maybe <laughs> one of the channels on the the cart wasn't making contact. So right. it was just for the super graphics, not the duos or anything else. Yeah, it was it was just yeah on the duo it's everything's absolutely perfect. You can't play the super graphics games, but and, so yeah, and what's the um what's the patched BIOSes you have? You know I got my uh, I got my duo right or my um EverDrive right here because I was just looking at this the other day. I think I got version uh, one point two. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't see it because there's a different camera on the stream. But yeah, version 1.2 mm-hmm. from 2013, I think. Mm-hmm. So if people have this, they might have the issue with the, um, the Super Graphics then? No, Super Graphics, I, I think it's just a contact issue. So Super Graphics, I'm pretty sure, should work fine on that. It should work fine on all of them as long as you've got it inserted. As long as you just That's my theory. I only have experience with my own super graphics, though. Now, the patched BIOS files that you have in your ROM packs, is that for the same thing, or is that that's totally different, right? No, that's something different. That is, and I don't, uh, I hope I explain it correctly. Um, Corey explained it 
the other day and the um, you and my life in gaming did a, gr a fun uh, streaming chat yeah I think I have the um, let me see what he said was uh, by using the um, by using the system uh, so when you you have to boot it with a system card um, and all of your BIOS files are, are as if you're loading those different system cards. Mm -hmm. So um, it only really matters for certain games, and he mentioned Altered Beast is the one that uh, he noticed wouldn't work. But if you have the newer version of the Turbo EverDrive, just uh, use your patched BIOS files to launch. and then that's I didn't make them, but yeah, they're in, ones from they're the, in the packs. Um, mm -hmm. And then if you... Um, but if you have the older one like mine, then you actually have to remove it and, and use the system cards that came with it, not the, the BIOS packs. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because there's some sort of uh, loop or something with the memory that it gets into, and it it can theoretically it could cause damage. They were saying, although there's no evidence that it has damaged anything. But yeah, it's not the way that it doesn't isn't optimal because of some missing RAM on the original EverDrives. Right. Well, that's actually one of the things I learned back, uh, back when I was working with that company that made medical-grade computers, is when you say do damage to something, um, it doesn't necessarily mean you plug it in and it breaks. It could mean <laughs> that if you used the, the proper version, this console would last 30 years, but if you use the improper version, it'll last 29 years. But then there's also the other extreme, where instead of 30, it'll, it'll die at the end of the year. And that's, that's always kind of what I want to nail down with these issues is is it something that's like is it a realistic concern or is it like nah this is fine it's gonna something else is gonna kill this thing before the wrong bios file so that's something i yeah. was trying to, to hunt down yeah you you should get the new turbo everdrive though i think because you can probably get you can probably sell your old one on ebay for you know 15 bucks less than you paid for it and get the new one you get with the new one he's got a cool little plexiglass cover that comes with it that's one yeah, thing. Yeah, I saw that. That's pretty neat. But then there's also the differences between one and going up to the 2.4. There have been a lot of hardware changes that he's put in there. Like you now, you have uh, instant loading. You know, like the Mega EverDrive. So the second you press it, the second you want to start your game, you jump right into it. And then you can use those hack BIOS files. Um, and then there's potential for other things that you can, they can do with it in the future, too. As far as homebrew, I think he's added extra RAM in there or something for them to use. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, and then there's also just the layout. I think he put in a, a full line of resistors on each, on each line for some reason, I think, to clear up noise or to clear up some noise and in the information, something like that. I can't remember. I'd have to dig up these threads again. But, yeah, grab that. I was up. using the EverDrive to test for some of the jail bar interference. And then I was always, I always kind of preferred to use original cartridges for, just for that reason. I wonder if it introduced any noise at all. And so that's why I have, you know, it's always good to have multiple sources for the stuff like that. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, yeah, and that's another thing you had was um, it's lower energy consumption. So especially if you get like a Turbo Express, that's kind of a nice feature. But it can also reduce video noise, hmm. theoretically, again. I've yet to, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to see all the commercials for TurboGrafx-16, but I never even saw one until no. I purchased it. And then I haven't really had time to sit and game on it. So, And I, I think I got the Duo, and by the time I did the cap replacement and got it working, I sent it off to Tim Worthington in Australia, where he used it for like a year. So this is going to be my first opportunity nice. to actually sit and game on a, a you know, a, this is going to be a PC Engine Duo, but at least I'll have access to the full library. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're going to love it. Yeah, you'll have a lot of fun. That's exactly how I was back 
way back when, back in the day, I remember Bonk's uh, commercials on TV. I'm, we, I never touched uh, a Turbo Graphics, and I never expected to in my life back then. They were just too expensive and, you know, too too uh, obscure to find in reality or something. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah so you should that get... Works when you get, start getting into the retro gaming stuff, because it's like... There are so many things that I, I saw as a kid or didn't know about that I discovered now that I just think are amazing. And then there's the opposite. I remember Scott came over when I first got my CDI, and I RGB modded it, and we sat down like, oh, look, it's an RGB modded CDI. All right, let's go play Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just, you know, yeah, we'll just definitely a lot of that. So. Mm. Yeah, some games aren't quite as good as Remember Them, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And some things. Yeah, that was the same thing I did with my duo. I buy every as much as I can broken. I buy things broken. So I bought my duo with. Um, I think it had missing sound, which is just a dead ringer for it needs a recap. So mine didn't just need a recap. Um, one of the one of the reasons I sent it to Tim, not just for him to experiment with, was I the sound was completely dead even after the cap replacement. Uh, and he took a look at it and said, I replaced the caps okay, but one of the um, caps leaked and corroded the trace. So we actually had to run a jumper wire to fix a trace for the audio to start working. So that's uh, notorious for those consoles is the bad caps. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first thing I do, even if they don't need it. I just enjoy recapping things at this point, and I've got enough equipment that I need some excuse to use it. You know, the funny thing is, once I started to get good equipment, and when I say good, I don't mean thousands of dollars. I just mean I bought a $60 soldering kit instead of the $10 one from Radio Shack. (laughs) But once I get good equipment, I actually enjoy some of this stuff. I used to, even when I started the website, I used to hate soldering. It was just annoying. I'd rather be doing something else. But now it's kind of fun because I'm not fighting with bad equipment. I'm just kind of, you know, doing it. Yeah, now now it's under your control and the, the... The things that you're imagining doing on the PCB are actually happening instead of fighting with the old, you know, we all started with those pencil irons and everything, and those are yeah. just, those are not fun to use. That and Flux. Once my friend Phil kind of, you know, verbally abused me into start using Flux, he was totally right. That was, uh, I was, that was a, a big part of my equipment that was missing that I should have used years earlier. And it's yeah, cheap, too. It's not like, you know, a Flux pen's under $10, and it lasts for, you know, quite a while, so... Yeah, get some flux, some eutectic solder, some uh, desoldering. Do you have a desoldering station? Those are really handy for gaming. I have a hot air rework station, um, and I don't have a. De- I have one of those pump desoldering irons, which is terrible, absolutely terrible. But uh, my buddy Wes, the guy that runs the Second Opinion Games podcast, he has a full desoldering station, and he used to. We used to live pretty close to each other. Now it's a journey from the city, but um, we had a couple projects planned. Um, we're gonna because you know combine equipment and make everything a lot easier. Plus, he's got a really nice like uh, workstation with you know big desk with, every, with tons of space to spread out. So nice. Yeah, I've got. I went. I took a risk and I got a cheaper desoldering station, but it's really nice. Oh, it's like a way a o y e. But it's, it's under the ones with the pump built into it, right? You don't have to yeah, like, sit there with a squeeze pump or anything. <laughs> oh, it's if you're moving from the pump, yeah, you'll love it. <laughs> The pumps work. I mean, there's no question. I used them for a couple of years, and but I got the yeah. desoldering station, and all of a sudden things started happening faster. Well, I kind of want to make um, a video about 
just about tools. I was talking to Voltar about this the other day because on the page now I, I have the modding tools thing and I basically just show that you don't need to spend $100 worth of equipment, but I think I'd like to get across the fact that if you have like a Super Nintendo and maybe a Genesis and you want to just add stereo audio to your Genesis one and throw a chip in your SNES Mini, just get that cheap soldering gun. Get one with a temperature um, gauge on it, even if it's, you know, just a one to five dial, because so many people use like 80 watt soldering guns and ruin their consoles. You know, you don't need that stuff, but if you plan on doing a few consoles, or if you plan on selling anything, you know, the, just to upgrade to good equipment makes all the difference. Yeah, it does. I would love to see an article by Goldhar if you can get him to write something. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially for people who are just starting out. Yeah, it's hard to get good information, and you want to get it from. You don't want to get it from some crazy hot gluer or something. You want to get it from someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, Voltaire stuff is amazing. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I um I hope to get a bunch of people in on this, and I think uh, he's got a bunch of projects like that in the works. He actually had a bunch of really good projects in the works, and then when the high def nest was released, everything went on hold, so he could mod a bunch of those, and then he'll probably get back into it, you know, by the end of the month or something, but. Yeah, and I think um, the one thing I want to do, too, is, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody online has seen the messy mod work pages, but they started out as a way that the guys that knew what they were doing say, hey, look, you know, this is, you shouldn't be doing it like this, you should do it like that. But like everything else on the internet, it immediately turned into, like, a big troll thing where people would just post pictures to make fun of people. So mm -hmm. I want to put that up on my page, and I want to use my own work as an example. That way I'm not making yeah. fun of anybody. Just so I can show, like, this, you know, this is an example of what not to do. Here's why I did it this way, and here's why I was wrong. And I feel yes, like that existed when I started. Of your first attempts, and then your new, your, or after you fixed it now. Yeah, I wish, I, I don't want my original mods to show up on any forums, <laughs> that's for sure. But, it, yeah, it's it's just understanding why is like 80% of it for me because like uh, soldering did you ever do the manual uh, SNES mini mod where you solder right to that sRGB chip by the heatsink uh, on the SNES mini yeah um, which mod it's the one where you solder the wires to the chip on the top next to the cartridge port and run them around the side uh, RGB mod yeah yeah, I've, that's, yeah, that was a, fr a frustrating one was anytime you had to deal with a little chip and a little solder. Next, yeah, next to something so you couldn't get it at the angle. If I had only known that, you know, if you get a better soldering iron with a, a really clean tip and you get the, for what they call it, with the little stations with, um, you know, where you, you clean off the tip in it, so not the sponge, but that, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, I probably wasted hours and hours and hours of my life doing those mods the hard way. And if I had only known to use flux and to keep, you know, and what, to have good desoldering braid, not cheap desoldering braid, you know, mm -hmm. you could easily add solder to all those pins. And if you bridge two together, if you've been using flux and have good desoldering braid, it's one little dab of, and it's gone. <laughs> so it's, I gotta get, uh, yeah, I gotta get on all that stuff. So much to do, so little time. <laughs> uh huh. So yeah, and then just when you finish them, all, um, all of your equipment with you when you moved. Uh, no, I'm. Yeah, I, I moved to Brazil about a month and a half ago. I'm down here now, and I'm secluded from all my goodies. I've got just because when you, I'm here for a few years, maybe you know, maybe permanently, maybe for two or three years, and you you've got a limit of what you can bring. And so I kind of had to cut myself off, like. 
I tried to bring the most the things that I can get the most use out of. So I've got like a, a 360 with RGH mod. And yeah, I mean, back at home in the States, in storage, I've got 40 or 50 arcade boards. I've got two PVMs, you know, everything, all my consoles. And then here in Brazil, I've got a modded 360 that I'm emulating through. Yeah, <laughs> so I know the feeling. Change. Uh, luckily on for a, me, though, on I'm only LC. like 45 minutes away from my storage area, and it's located kind of where I used to live, so I always use it, you know, as an excuse when I go see friends and everything, but... Yeah, it's rough when you have access to all your equipment and then you immediately go down to like a skeleton crew of just, you know, the bare minimum. Yeah, and it's, but it gives me something to do a little bit occasionally because I, yeah, it's fun to hunt for deals. Hmm. And so now I'm here in Brazil and I just saw Kim Justice did that great uh, Tech Toy Brazil video. Yeah, you sent that to me and I posted the link a couple weeks ago for that. That was interesting. Yeah, I saw that. And then uh, Classic Gaming Quarterly just did another one on the, the launch of the Genesis, and it covered a lot of Brazil. And now it's like, I want to get a Brazilian Genesis, Brazilian Master Drive, and get those going here. I did bring with me my uh, SCART to component converter, mm. just in case, because I have a Saturn and a Dreamcast here, and they're both uh, set up for RGB. So I could get the Genesis, uh, the Brazilian Genesis, and then just uh, send my EverDrive, my Sega EverDrive down here to myself, and then I'd be back in action at least for Sega, which would be cool. So do you actually own every one of his EverDrives? Every single one. (laughs) Me too, actually. Plus, plus, (laughs) uh, yeah. Yeah, plus, some of them I have a couple of. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm just big into flashcards. I sort of gave myself a rule. After you get up to about 20 or... 25 consoles you start trying to think about space more like you said and i kind of gave myself a rule like i'm going to try to not buy a console unless it has a flash cart <laughs> because yeah. i mean almost everything has one available now though yeah they do yeah before i mean yeah if you've been here for 10 years you've seen every console eventually get one yeah which is really cool to be part of it right now so now you're um with the neo geo flash carts coming out you're working on that rom set as well right yeah, I'm going to do... So in addition to the EverDrive packs, most people probably don't know this because I know there's there's a lot of people who are into console gaming. Not so many are into uh, arcade gaming. But I've been a big fan of Darksoft's flashcards that he does for arcade systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have his CPS2 kit, which is incredible. And CPS2 is the system, for people who don't know, which plays all of the great Street Fighter games from about... Um, after, just after Street Fighter II Champion Edition, all the way up until, uh, let's see, Street Fighter III. Mm-hmm. So you've got Street Fighter Alpha, all of those. Um, you can play Mahou and uh, Pro Gear. Incredible arcade games. And for about 300 bucks, he makes this great this flesh kit for it, which lets you play. These games are extremely expensive if you had to buy them. I only have a handful of actual CPS2 games. But... Uh, yeah, anybody, if you want to, anybody who's interested in moving beyond console gaming should look, I think they should look into, uh, first of all, Neo Geo. Because it's basically, once once you figure out, once you have your head, your mind wrapped around how the RGB works, and then you move into how JAMA controllers work, if you've done any pad hacking or anything like that, you combine that knowledge, and you figure out, oh, wait a minute, I can play like a Neo Geo MVS on my TV, or my PVM, or whatever. Or, you know, did you used to have an MVS? 
No, no, I had um, some. I had Nintendo Genesis and Super Nintendo, um, and even then, I think I, I worked like mowing lawns and raking leaves for an entire summer just to be able to afford both consoles. Because oh yeah, that's how I was. I mean, I thought you had uh, the actual an arcade. Did you have an arcade cabinet or something? Well, when I was a kid, I only had those. Once uh, recently, I actually had a stand-up Mortal Kombat machine. Okay, that's. But I ended up having to sell that, but uh, I'll hopefully. I really want. I mean, to be honest, I eventually want a Neo Geo stand-up machine with, uh, you know, like maybe my favorite games and then a ROM card in it. And then mm-hmm. I've I got to have another original Mortal Kombat. And then I want to build one more with um, some kind of good MAME emulator. Because I kind of, for the most part, um, I have kind of a disdain for emulation. I could almost always find a glitch, find something wrong. And, you know, you can't unsee it if once you've been gaming yeah. for a while on the original consoles. But it's just, it's not possible for people to get every arcade machine that they like, both in space or money or, you know, or even availability. So mm-hmm. that's the one thing that I really want to, as far as emulation goes, that's the one thing that's really important is getting a good, accurate MAME emulator. Um, and, you know, I guess having the ROM cart for the Neo Geo consoles, that immediately solves a huge problem because now you have all of the Neo Geo library and if you have an MVS... That is every game, so you're good to yeah. go. Yeah, it's incredible. I think it's gonna kick the doors open to um, hacks and maybe. I mean, you, there's some pretty cool uh, homebrew out there. There um, is. There's, there's a ton of good homebrew, not... and then there's people who are converting Neo Geo CD games to Neo Geo games. Yeah, that's interesting stuff. And I've done the opposite too. I've released in a thread uh, some MVS games converted to CD. Oh, cool. Which is hit or miss, but it's an interesting way to, if you want to hear, uh, if you've got a Neo Geo CD and you want to hear the MVS soundtrack instead, for example, it works on a handful of games. Just go, I've got a thread. You know, I kind of assumed that something like that was out there, but I didn't, um, I never actually stumbled across it because I do, I have a Neo Geo CD that I got just for testing to use. And to be honest, the load times. I mean, they're not bad, in my opinion. I'm used to playing PS3, where I, a couple of games, I've sat for two or three minutes waiting for the game to load, whereas that, it's it's less of the load time. So, Yeah, to me, yeah, I've got two CDZs, so the load time is a little less. But, yeah, people talk about that. It's, it's one of those things that people, I think, over-exaggerate, because, uh, like... Um, Lord Carnage always says, or whatever, that's when you go get your beer, or that's when you go get a coffee, or whatever. I mean, you've got a 30 second break built in occasionally. Yeah, yeah, good point. But yeah, it doesn't seem bad to me at all. So, the thing that I was worried, uh, I was wondering about that maybe you could sh- uh, share some light on, and I think people that are already in the know of this stuff are probably going to think it's a dumb question, but um, I've tried to download a lot of Neo Geo ROM sets um, over the years, and there's always a ton of games that I don't ever remember actually being on the Neo Geo. So what's up with that? Is that people mixing in general arcade games with it? Or is it conversions? Can you kind of explain how that works? Because aren't there only like a, a 180 Neo Geo games total or something? Yeah, I'm not sure how many there are exactly. What it might be is they might be including, it might be a pack like for Final Burn Alpha or something. Maybe they have right. extra stuff thrown in. But I have, I mean... I want to put together, when I do the MVS pack, I just want to pull everything out of the latest MAME, which uh, is supposedly the best, the highest quality dumps of these MVS games, 
and just get them all in one pack. And I haven't found that out there anywhere else where somebody's just pulled out those specific MBS games. Neither have I, and I've looked without a doubt. Mm-hmm. A lot of that's you get we really get into the the era the area of crappy ROMs when you start looking for arcade games because those are just like where did they come from and what are they? And nobody ever says the source or anything. Well, I've even had a really hard time finding an AES ROM pack for the home the home versions of the games. So many didn't work, or, or you need to configure a file individually for each one. I mean, it was it didn't really make sense to me. And I tried, and I spent some time working on it. It just it was kind of convoluted. So I'm really looking forward to being able to get them, you know, getting the pack so it just works. You know? Yeah, I'll have, I'll have this all sorted out for you pretty soon. <laughs> awesome. Darksoft's got his kit coming out pretty soon. I'm pretty sure I'll be doing the roll-up packs. I do the roll-up packs for the CPS, too, also, so... Once you get your uh, CPS2 all set up with Darksoft's um, board, you just take your SD card, just like with an EverDrive, you copy the stuff over from my set, and I have two sets, a big set with everything, Japanese, English, Chinese, um, Latin America, all of those, and then I have another set that's just English-specific that's more cut down. But I'll do the same thing for MVS um, and AES for uh, Dark Sauce Project, and it should just be copy and paste as far as I know. There might be a program that you have to run first to decrypt the games, or I'm not, I'm not really sure. Maybe I'll decrypt them first before I put them in the set. Yeah, now, what is the big deal about that? Because I was reading on Dark Sauce Forum, there was kind of a little debate going back and forth. Um, what is the issue with decrypting of the ROMs before, before running them? Is the, does it make it inaccurate during gameplay or something? No, it'll, the end result will be the exact same. It's just like um, like on the CPS2, I think what you do is um, you send the ROMs to the system and it decrypts them itself. Something like that. With the MVS, I think it has to be... Dec- it can't receive the actual ROMs and decrypt them. I think it does it in the cartridge or something. I don't really know exactly. But the end result will be the system will think bit for bit that it's that it's the actual game as far as I know. Yeah, because that, to me, I mean, uh, seems like a moot point to argue about because if the end result's the same either way, I don't, I didn't understand why the purpose of the argument, I guess, you know? It's a purist thing. I can see what they're talking about. It doesn't affect me personally because I'll be happy. I mean, I have the 161 in one. <laughs> it's just a pile of crap. Yeah. But, I mean, it's gotten me by for several years, and I've done a bunch of, like, mods to it to try Like, Gadget UK has some awesome mods that he's posted. So that's what I've been getting by with. So when Darksoft Kit comes out, it's gonna be, it's gonna be mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna revolutionize my MVS experience. Well, I uh, I already ordered the Neo SD, which I guess is shipping mid January supposedly, and I'm also gonna order Darksofts, and I'll do a review on both, and then I'm gonna need to sell at least one of them because those things are expensive. <laughs> yeah. But um. Yeah, that'll be cool to see. Yeah. So uh, I guess uh, you should probably have uh, the ROM packs done around that time anyway, right? So it'll it'll match for the release dates. Yeah. I'll tr- as soon as he announces the release date, then I will have my packs up either on that day or or pretty close to it over at his forums, arcadeprojects.com, arcade-projects.com. Gotcha. Now, you have a big update coming, uh, I think, well, if this is going to air on the 21st, so it would be this Saturday. You're going to have a big release for your current ROM packs, right? Yeah, I've been falling behind on my EverDrive packs with the move and everything. My wife just finished her PhD, and I've sort of been her editor, and that has consumed a ton of my time. And so right, I've spent the last week now, I've had a week off, just going through and getting every pack 
updated, organized, fixed. I've had a, well, I'm like you, I keep everything in a folder of things to do for the EverDrive packs. And it was just getting a little too big. So what I'm doing is I'm going to do every single pack is going to get a nice update. I'm going to release it on Christmas Eve uh, in the main thread. Awesome. And yeah, it should be pretty cool. A lot of the stuff that you've sent me is going in there. A lot of Game Gear to SMS conversions. Sega, the Sega EverDrive, so the Genesis, is getting a really nice update. Awesome. Now, obviously, those will also have the latest firmwares for the different ROM parts in there as well, too, right? Yeah, they have their copy and paste the packs I do. So they'll have they have the latest OS and like for the Sega it has both the Sega or the the old EverDrive MD, which now is like the X3, I think the Mega EverDrive. So it'll have both OSs that you need. Everything's all set up. So copy and paste. And uh, I'm still working on them. Like I was just uh, patching ROMs last night, patching ROMs this morning. I'm trying to beef up the content for everything. So. Anything that didn't have a lot of new stuff, like I've gone, I've, I patched every translation since 2014 for the Super Nintendo uh, from the ROM hacking site, which took a few hours. The Super Nintendo one's getting iffy because I think the SD to SNES can only read a 32 gigabyte um, SD card, and if you start to count in the MSU audio packs, it's over that now. I think you can. Is it 32? Or maybe I have to maybe I have to use a special format tool for 64. Yeah, it might there, to my list there might be a way to get or it might be just which cards it supports. I thought I had a 64 gigabyte in mine. Cuz there's but a yeah, once format you throw tool just like with um if you use the recall SD. box on the Pi, you have to format it using Windows and then you actually go in with this DOS tool so it's fat 32 but 64 bit. I got to try that to see if that'll work. That might solve the issue. Yeah, you might be able to play around with it and get that working. Because, yeah, I had... Oops, sorry, go ahead. I, I did the uh, MSU One Packs, too, and yeah, like you said, those are getting up there to, like, 20, 30 gigabytes of content just for MSU One. Yeah. Yeah, and for anybody that wants to upgrade uh, from their old pack to their new one, so what the way I've been doing it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is I go into the SD card and I go into the Save folder, and I make sure that I save um, any of my save games that are on there, and for things like the EverDrive N8, I also save any of the, the mappers folder. Because mm-hmm. a few times I ended up, uh, I forgot which was which, but I dumped fan-made mappers in there instead. Mm-hmm. And then I format the SD card completely. Mm-hmm. And then I dump your ROM pack on there, and then I put the saves and the mappers back on. Um, is there yes. a better way to do it, or does that seem to be the oh, best that's, way? That is the best way for sure. I think... It's best. It's also good to format an EverDrive every year too, just because I don't, there's no way that it can handle fragmentation. So some people who might have the same ROM set on there for three or four years, theoretically, there could be fragmentation happening. Hmm. And yeah, every that also because I go through and with each revision, I might have renamed ROMs too. So if people are just copying what I like the new set over the old set, they're going to have double showing up of things or the old version, especially with the hex. That's something older ones, like the Master System and the Game Gear, if you do that, they won't show up in alphabetical order. So by formatting them and putting them on like that, they will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a tool, um, what's it called? Fat Sorter. Right, right. Which you can run, if you ever run into, if you've added your own ROMs and they're out of alphabetical order, which I always see that Gamester81's videos, his ROMs are always out of order, and I just want to tell him about this. um, (laughs) Fat Sorter. 
But yeah, you run fat sorter on and it'll go through and sort everything for you. But that's another issue too is that you when you format it, everything gets lined back up alphabetically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely just get your saves off there and anything that you've customized, if you've added ROMs or whatever, copy to your computer, format it, put the new pack, and then copy your stuff back. That's yep. the best way. And the only one that I knew of with an issue was the Master System one, because one version of the OS supported FAT16 and the other supports FAT32. So if you have the Master System one and you format it and add the new OS and it doesn't work, just reformat it with the old upgrade and it's kind of a pain but that's the only one i ever saw that had an issue the rest were very easy just straightforward yeah i used to add in i used to have little instructions on how to format and eventually i got rid of it because they just became through the years to where you can format it just using the you know the built-in tool and whatever os you're using except for mac os sometimes people have problems but yeah you just format it and it's good to go now it's like there's no special uh, cluster sizes or anything to worry about Although you can tweak those if you want. Yeah, I see Cricks every once in a while talk about adjusting cluster size, but I have never had an issue just leaving everything default. Is there, well, is there a specific scenario where people would have to worry about that? Um, theoretically, if I think theoretically, if you match the cluster size generally to the size of the files you're going to be using, it'll be faster. But in practice, on an, on an EverDrive and the tiny files that we're working with, I don't think it actually affects them. It would have to be an interesting thing for someone to do is play around with cluster sizes. And you know, if they had two of the same EverDrive and just do a video of it loading on both and see if you can actually discern you know, a few milliseconds difference or something. I mean, the only it's, time I've ever noticed a difference is when I used a very old, beat-up, slow card versus a newer one. And even mm-hmm. then, we're talking a difference between... 10 seconds and 8 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the SD2 SNES is the one where it's best to have a really fast card. Yeah, and because I'm, of the MSU stuff. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah, and the MSU stuff, there's even timing issues that people can run into with slow cards just mm-hmm. when they're running the game itself. Gotcha. I did, though, find with like Darksoft CPS2 kit, I tried, I have three or four SD cards that I was loading my uh, test sets on, and one SD card I had was loading like twice as fast as the other ones. So it, it, I guess if you're working with certain systems, it's best to play around with your SD cards and find out which one works the best. Hmm. Good advice. And uh, we'll see if the NBS sets the same way. Right. Well, um, thanks so much for coming on and doing this. I'm glad to finally get you on here because uh, I just so many people use your ROM packs and they're such a huge help for me and everybody I know that uses them. Um, so we got this Saturday night, the uh, new ROM sets are all going to be updated. Um, if anybody needs them, I always run into this where I don't know how to deal with the legal issue. So I'll just say Google Smoke Monster ROM sets, and it's like the first yeah. thing that pops up. You can't miss it. So you have to register at the forum, but registration's free. And then you have the links right there, and they're both on Mega and Free File or File yeah, Mega and File Factory. Now, if you're an international user, uh, supposedly File Factory should be better. And Mega is probably the best for most people. Gotcha. Um, anything else? Did I miss anything? Anything else to mention? Uh, no, I think, man, we've been we've talked about a lot. So yeah, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun being on here. It's it's cool to finally talk to you and meet you in well, meet yeah. you uh, in video. I know, That's right? It. After all this years of emailing, it's cool to, to finally meet you. So, um, thanks again for everything. And I'm sure I'll have you back on in a bit when we have uh, more crazy fun ROM stuff to talk about. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Take care. Take care.